0: Hello and welcome to the Collider podcast. I'm Collider senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is managing editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks! We've been teasing this episode for the last week, and I am now pleased to say we are interviewing Paul Feig for the tenth anniversary of his terrific comedy Bridesmaids. Uh, he was generous enough to sit down with us and talk about the film's legacy. Uh, constructing some of its more memorable scenes.
1: In particular, the dress fitting bathroom scene.
0: The dress fitting bathroom scene. He mentioned a hilarious scene from the original script that didn't make it into the final cut, (laughs) where I had to sort of cover my mouth from laughing so hard. Um, (laughs) So it was a really great interview. Uh, Feig, of course, has directed not only Bridesmaids, but also Spy, The Heat, uh, Ghostbusters, A Simple Favor. Uh, and last Christmas, uh, he's a terrific director, a great interview, and we were so pleased to have this chance to sit down and talk with
1: him. And Bridesmaids is now streaming on Peacock, uh, which is part of the reason we were um, able to set this interview up. It's streaming all summer long on Peacock. So if you don't own, own Bridesmaids and you have Peacock and you want to watch it uh, because it's one of the best comedies of you know the century so far, uh, you can stream it on Peacock right now. And it's incredibly rewatchable. Yes, it holds up tremendously well. Um, And we were able to even sneak in a couple of questions about uh, Feek's upcoming projects. He's currently in production on uh, School for Good and Evil, which is a Netflix movie that's probably going to be a franchise. And he talked about uh, the fun of some of the tonal challenges of that piece and that big ensemble cast. Um, And I had to ask him about Dark Army, his Universal Monsters project that he has been writing and hoping to make. And it sounds like uh, there's a promising update on that one. So it sounds like fingers crossed we will get to see a Paul Feek monster movie Uh, sooner rather than later
0: so strap in and listen to us talk to paul feig
1: thank you so much for coming on we're huge fans of yours and huge fans of bridesmaids and can't believe it's been 10 years since that movie came out You can't imagine how I feel. (laughs) Um, No, it's crazy. It was this groundbreaking comedy. How do you kind of feel about its legacy now? It feels like 10 years wasn't that long ago, but in the comedy genre, like it has changed so significantly since then.
2: Well, I mean, it's what you always dream of when you make anything that is going to be remembered beyond, you know, the moment it comes out. So, um, you know, especially with... with a comedy, I mean, sometimes they don't stick, and um, you know. But but you you go for longevity when you make them, uh, you know. And then, it's the difference between making a comedy that's about cultural references and making fun of pop culture versus the, about the human condition, and you know. And that's really the kind of comedy. It's funny when you start out in comedy, you start just making fun of other things, and then to have any kind of you know career and longevity for yourself and your projects, you have to go more into the human condition, really, and. So, So, you know, at its core, Bridesmaids is just really a story about a friendship and about how hard it is to kind of keep a friendship together and the challenges of that. But then, you know, the window dressing on it is all the comedy. So, you know, but I always say all my movies are just dramas that are funny, hopefully. (laughs) So, you know, that's what pulls you through, really.
0: It feels like the comedy genre, especially at least where feature films are concerned, has really changed drastically over the last 10 years to the point where I would say it's hard to see just a straight, Comedy. I was curious if you think that a comedy like Bridesmaids, if that genre could make a comeback or if you think it's been being absorbed into sort of other genres like superhero films or other genres that are able to sort of handle that comic tone yeah i mean more
2: people more projects and in, you know movies in general are using comedy as part of their quiver and i, I think that's great i mean i have always kind of had an issue not an issue but i just don't enjoy sort of a drama that's just dramatic and has no humor in it whatsoever you know i go back to you know look at old hitchcock movies they always had a lot of humor in them and weird funny eccentric characters and side characters so i think it's it's great um I do wonder if if the days of the straight up, just straight out comedy, are not numbered, but just you know, everything goes, it's like a sine wave with everything. Genres come in. You know, remember when you know Jurassic Park 3 crapped out and you we know, like, nobody wants a Jurassic Park, then you wait long enough and suddenly everybody wants wants it back. So I think big comedies are kind of that way. I think right now people tend to like mixed genre a little bit more which i'm a huge fan of i mean you know my movie a simple favor is kind of that you know and i like comedy where you don't go it's a comedy because then it kind of sneaks up on you but um at the same time look i people love to laugh and and um and especially once we start going back into movie theaters which you know seems like we're starting to do which is great uh they're, they're going to want that shared experience and so it may very well be that the pandemic brings back bigger comedies so people can just go and just have this outlet. And it's up to us as filmmakers to make sure that we give good comedies to
1: people. Simple Favor is great, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, simple simple Favor is really the tonal fun. the tonal shifts in that movie are so bold and wonderful. Uh and fantastic. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> you um, but You know, now that we're talking about Bridesmaids, we just saw Barb and Star from Kristen and Annie, which was wonderful and silly and really uh, just kind of like goofy humor. And I'm wondering, you know, Bridesmaids feels like it's from different writers almost. Um, I'm wondering if there was there was there an earlier incarnation of the script of Bridesmaids that was maybe more along that tone, maybe a little bit sillier. There was elements
2: in it, definitely, in, in, in uh, you know, Kristen and Annie's original draft that were really, really funny. I mean, there was something where they're trying to find Lillian and they're going through the woods. And they find this, like, uh, dead body of, of a bride. And they're like, oh, my God, Lillian. They're like, oh, wait, no, it's not her. And so they keep going. It's kind of really absurd stuff like that, which was hilarious, you know. But um, I think we just wanted to make sure that we really grounded it so that the story had a lot of great. Gravity to it, in emotional, you know, kind of uh, you know, that you could attach to and then put the comedy on top of it. So I think if anything, we just sort of mined some of the more dramatic elements they had and made them not more dramatic is not the way to put it, but just made them more resonant so that you really engaged with this character who is a very challenging character because any main character who's screwing up a lot and doing things that they shouldn't be doing, you really have to be invested in that character to go not just walk out of the movie halfway through and go like I can't take this person anymore they're you know they're doing everything wrong you have to like fall in love with them and so we just wanted to make sure that all that stuff was there, Um, but it was a really great amalgamation of sort of all our sensibilities, uh, you know, and and that's why I think people really keep coming back to it because. It is a story that you feel from your heart. You're like, oh, my gosh, if I was losing my best friend, what would I do? And if I had no money, you know, and I was trying to try to compete with somebody who had a lot of money and was trying to pull my friend away, you know, and that's the core of it. And then we all remember the window dressing of the dress shop and the in the airplane, but it's all in service of that story.
0: Well, speaking of the dress shop, I was curious, like, could you walk us through sort of the origin and execution of that scene because it's such a centerpiece of the film comedically in terms of just sort of the way it plays out.
1: One of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had was just hearing the <laughs> entire theater just devolve into laughter as that's playing out.
2: It was one of the best test screening experiences I've ever had because you know you, you make these movies and you kind of go, I hope this works, and then you do the first test screening and you find out, you know, things you go like, "This is gonna kill," and like silence, you know. And that <laughs> one was kind of like it was a big swing because we were go- really going for it, and just to hear the audience like rocking that theater with laughter was was quite nice. But I mean, the, the origin of that was really. Just- We wanted the funniest way to illustrate a an issue, a character issue in the story that's going to propel it forward. And you know, the the reason that scene is so funny, you know, taking aside from all the outrageous stuff that happens, is because all that outrageous stuff is in service of. Kristen's character Annie trying to pretend that nothing is wrong with what she did she took people to a shitty restaurant she said it was a good restaurant because she didn't have enough money to go to a good restaurant and it gave everybody food poisoning and so in front of her nemesis she will not back down and admit she screwed up and so it's the comedy of Overwhelming evidence that somebody and somebody is trying to deny that is happening, and so really, that at its core is why it's funny. And I think that's why we, you know, what you relate is not just somebody throwing up in people's, you know, throwing up in somebody's head and shitting in a sink, which is hilarious on its own, but if it didn't have that core of her cutting back to her going like, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with the food. The restaurant was fine. And she's sweating, you know, and trying to, and Helen's trying to make her throw up. I I think that's really why that, that scene is so funny. And that's really what we wanted to illustrate with that scene.
1: Looking back now having, you know, a number of films under your belt that you've done, um, you know, within different genres and, and different kinds of films. I'm curious what the, how you feel about the editing process of Bridesmaids, because that was at a time when there was a lot of improvisational comedy. Um, and I know there was some improvisation in Bridesmaids itself, but now having, you know, gone through a bunch of different experiences of editing, you know, a big blockbuster and a tonal swing, how does that one kind of rank in terms of the, the challenge uh, that you had and in, in terms of putting that together in a, in a way that it was successful?
2: Well, I don't tend to do anything much different on, on, on most of my movies. Uh, you know, I mean, a movie like Simple Favor was a little more heavily scripted because it was a thriller and it had really specific beats. But even within that, you know, Anna Kendrick could... could almost improv different attitudes in, in, in sort of ways she was doing stuff. Physical, physical improv, you know, of just like, you know, changing up something. One's very sedate, one's very crazy, that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, again, like, you know, The Heat, Spy, Ghostbusters have has a lot of, I, I don't like to call it improvisation because that brings this connotation that we just kind of showed up and went, like, all right, do whatever you want. You know, we really heavily script, and, you know, but and so that becomes a, a very specific blueprint we use, but it's, it's the line and like the moments and go like, oh, instead of that joke, try this joke, you know? And on the set, then suddenly going like, oh, this, oh, that's really, that interaction, it gives you an idea when you see them doing it on the set in that setting, go like, oh, what if you said this or play with this? And so it's little deviations, sometimes one line, two line deviation. sometimes it's four line deviation, but it's never just, you know, going off the rails. And so it makes it very containable to uh, to to edit it, what happens is you you know myself and you know judd and, uh, and a lot of us comedy filmmakers what we do is we have a lot of material so we put together what we think is you know what we think at the moment early in the process is the best representation of the movie do a test screening with an audience off the street not people we know and See what they laugh, laugh, at. And we record the laughs and they go like, oh, that joke we thought I was gonna get a laugh. I got a titter. Let's, you know, let's take that out. We've got 10 other jokes. Let's try them. And it becomes that. So over the course of the months that you're editing, you do nine, 10 uh, test screenings with different jokes and start to go, like, okay, those are the consistent ones. Here's the ones we can top, here's places that we just don't need a joke, let's take it out. We got too much. You know, so it's really it's funny. You know, Judd and I both came from the stand-up world. And that's how you work out your act you know you go up every night with new material and you go like well that didn't work okay tomorrow night i'll try this and so by the you know after you've gone for like a month or two you go like okay now i got a killer set of stuff that i know works in front of most audiences and that's really what putting this kind of a comedy together is like
0: and how does that work because for a film like this yes i mean you know obviously kristen's the lead and it's you know the friendship between her and maya But there's also an ensemble aspect between all the bridesmaids. And so what is it like approaching it when you have actors like, you know, Melissa McCarthy who can fire off alts and and give you lots of things, but perhaps not everyone is as comfortable as she is doing that? How do you sort of balance the comfort level of your different actors and their performing styles?
2: Well, this one was easy because every one of those actors, other than Rose... Comes from improv, uh, and sketch comedy. So they're all used to it. So it's, it's literally, that's what's so fun is going, we've got these like comedy thoroughbreds here and, and they can, but what, what's, what's why that works is because since they come from that world, they are used to setting each other up. It's not, you know, it's sometimes it's bad when you get stand up comedians uh, doing doing improv. Uh, Rick Overton, uh, one of my friends who I used to do stand up with way back in the day, he always used to end a set when he was headlining by bringing all the other comedians up and they would do improv. But it was a very different kind of improv because that was all people looking to score the joke and they weren't playing off each other versus you get people from the improv world and they know they're there to set each other up to make each other look good. And they only look good if the other person looks good. So it becomes very, easy to manage and you know you just get kind of a wealth of stuff because they become so fertile that you're just like oh try this try that and you're like oh you know I'm always going to dealer's choice do what you want and to see what they kind of will surprise me with with, with a various line or, or a tag on a scene or that kind of thing so it, it was it was very very enjoyable and then the great thing was that Rose Byrne is so just gifted as far as being able to come into a character and be that character and react to these things going around on around her that she able to, to join in with that and comes up with these hilarious lines as that character being set up by these other characters so it's like conducting a wonderfully fun
1: symphony Rose is uh, she's great in this film but she's phenomenal in Spy I think that <laughs> performance just kills me she's so oh my god we had so much fun with her in that one well what was that experience like for you coming in i know you know melissa i know was kind of a legend within the comedy scene but that was her big you know she got an oscar nomination and rose i think was still fairly new on the scene and clearly you know you work with these performers later on um what's that like for you kind of to discover that on the set and to find like oh you know this is an exciting this could lead to a collaboration down the road and then working with the same people as you kind of move forward I love
2: working with people over and over again, but I never, it's never like the first thing I do is like, oh, I got to find a project for these people. I it's the project first and then developing it and finding the characters in it and then going like, who would be perfect for this? And then it's like, oh yeah, if somebody I worked with before, you know, it's like in Spy, Rose Byrne, that role was originally written for like, like a like a 16-year-old kind of rich girl uh who was just kind of a total jerk and but then I found out the rose was available and so I was like oh my god well rose would be so funny let's reinvent the character and so got together with her and Melissa and we read through the script as it was and tried a bunch of different ways to do it and they weren't working and then I found it was kind of like actually rose try this with like a british accent and let's go back to the almost the 16-year-old girl version of the lines which are really assholey but play it this very together british woman and it just the minute she did it's like oh my god that's hilarious okay let's now we're gonna now i'm gonna go and rewrite the script for that so um you know so you you find the people that are great at stuff you get to know what they're great at and me personally i like to then go like oh this person is so funny in real life this way and nobody's ever seen them this way before i mean it's one of the reasons i want to do spy with melissa because because, you know, we had done Bridesmaids and The Heat and there was a few snarky um, reviewers who were kind of like, oh, well, she only plays the same thing. She's just, you know, the brash one who's, you know, squares at everybody, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, no, that's Melissa in real life this is actually the nicest, most demure person I think I've met and doesn't even swear in real life. And so I was like... I- I want to show them that. So that spy was kind of like, OK, we'll start with this very like, you know, in- inward person who then becomes this tiger as she goes along because she has to. But she's not even comfortable doing it until the end. So, you know, it's just fun to kind of twist and turn and 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 be able to showcase people. You know, I mean, just same with Jason Statham. You know, I, like I'd seen him in Crank. And I was like, that movie's so bananas. I was like, Jason Statham did not know. There's no way he didn't know this was funny. you know. And so I was like, so I want now to take that and put this in a movie. And when I wrote that role, everybody who read it went like, oh, so you're writing this for like Ben Stiller or Will Ferrell? I was like, no, I'm writing this for Jason Statham. And then they would just crack up because they're like, oh my God, first of all, say he'll never do it. But if he did, it'd be hilarious. And then he did it and he's hilarious. So There you go. <laughs>
1: I'm still holding holding out hope for a sequel for that one. Yeah, me too. we would love to see them back together again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but we'll, we'll see. Well, that's, you know, I, I'm not a big sequel guy, but that's one that I always kind of thought could possibly be a mini franchise. So who knows?
0: Well, how are things going on uh, School for Good and Evil?
2: Great. It's really good. We just uh, we're 20 days in and it's just going fantastic. Uh, this cast is... I really hit the jackpot. I mean, between my young cast and, and then, uh, you know, Carrie Washington just started today, and Charlize starts next week, and Lawrence Fishburne was here last week, and it's still here, and uh, it's, and Michelle Yeoh is in there, and, you know, I, I I got to showcase Michelle Yeoh's comedy talents in last Christmas, and now she's doing them again here in the greatest way possible, so uh, it's fun. I'm just having a blast. It's This is the first time I've got to build an entirely new world, which I've always wanted to do. You know, you kind of play with it in Ghostbusters, but that's really our world with, you know, the the other elements coming in. So I'm having a blast and it's big sets, big, beautiful costumes, everything's big, lots of effects. So uh, I'm having a
0: ball. I was just going to ask how your work with, you know, Freaks and Geeks and Zoe, Extraordinary Playlist, how that sort of prepared you for this and the new challenges that it presents.
2: Well, you know, I mean, honestly, having been a, you know, I created Freaks and Geeks, but then after that, I directed, you know, I directed other people's shows for about 10 years as I was doing other other projects too. But that was the greatest because you go like, oh, I've never done like a medical show. Oh, can I do Nurse Jackie? Oh, let's do Nurse Jackie, you know, and, and so you get to jump these genres all the time. That's why I'm so addicted to doing genres and why my movies are always going to be like a different genre. I'm just trying to work my way through every genre I can because it's a new <laughs> challenge, but it's still my voice. I still have my sensibility. It's always, you know, everything's always about some outsider who, you know, has to find their way in the world and figure out what they're doing. So, um, you know, but, but it, 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 it TV directing really prepares you to think on your feet in, in a way that sometimes people who are just from the movie world get very you know kind of like one-sided and i like it because it allows me to use all the talents of everybody around me from the actors to my creative teams you know i'm not the guy who's like it's gotta be this you know i have the vision that i want but then i feed it to them and they come back with stuff that i didn't think of and it i love going like That's way better than what I thought of, you know, or even if you go like, wait, that's not at all what I was thinking to go like, all right, just think about it, sit with it for a day and go like, you know what, actually, I think that's better or that's more unexpected than what I might have come up with. Uh, So it's really fun. And that kind of collaboration, you definitely have to do in television. And then to bring that into the movies, you know, look, the the difference between being a TV director and a movie director in general is that as a TV director, you're coming in not as a hired hand, that sounds too, you know, too uninvolved, but you're just you're coming into something that is set up already. And so then it's up to you to kind of fit into the the, the format and the, the tone of that show and to bring inventiveness to it, but to also not reinvent the wheel. Whereas as a movie director, you're starting from scratch. And so, you know, whereas a TV, they hand you a script and you kind of do the script that you were given in movies, and it's not it's a mistake I see some TV directors make when they first get into movies, you bring that mindset of like, Oh, here's the script, we just got to do it. It's like, no, it's, it's a movie director, you you, you've got to fix the script as much as you've got to direct the, the, the you know, direct the movie. And whether you're doing that through the writer, or you're bringing in a rewriter, or you're if you're like me, a writer director, and you do it yourself, you know, there's no excuse, you can't go like, well, I, they gave me a bad script. It's like, well, then you're not, you're not, you know, you're not doing it right.
1: Well, I know we have to wrap with you soon, uh, but I have to ask just because it sounds so cool. Is there any forward momentum on Dark Army?
2: Yeah, there is. I mean, I'm desperate to do it. And, uh, you know, Universal kind of had a moment of pause because I think it seemed a little too expensive that the scope that I did it at so I'm going to go in and do a rewrite to kind of kind of bring it down not no I mean the scope will still be big but I actually think they were right I, I think I, I was trying to bite off more than I probably should for the first what I would hope would be the first installment in something I want to, to carry on um, so I'm, I'm rewriting that right now and you know fingers crossed that could be the, the next thing I do because um, I love that's the genre I've been wanting to do forever just the classic monster movie not a horror movie but a classic monster movie in the tradition of you know the old James whale and todd browning movies so um yeah so hopefully that'll be up
1: next well you've proven more than capable in every genre you've tackled so far so a paul feig monster movie sounds uh incredible uh, fun. <laughs> thank you so much uh for talking to us uh you know bride it's not often that you know i think every filmmaker hopes that their movie will do well when it opens it's not often you're still talking about that film 10 years later so congratulations on bridesmaid and
2: everything thank else. you and to everybody out there please don't think i don't appreciate everybody who's ever supported this movie i mean it's really it is a dream come true and like you say i mean 10 years later to have people still coming up and saying they watch the movie and quoting lines to you that's you, you know, you, you can die a happy, happy comedy director if that happens.
0: <laughs> My wife went out the other night and as she was going out, she turned to me and said, I'm ready to
1: party. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you go. I love it. I, I can't go into an airplane bathroom to this day without going, she got sucked into the toilet, got sucked right in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks again to Universal and Peacock and to Paul Feig for taking the time to speak with us today. Again, Bridesmaids is now streaming all summer on Peacock so give it a watch it holds up incredibly well if you want to keep up with this podcast you should follow us on Twitter Adam where can we find you on Twitter?
1: At Adam Chitwood
0: and you can find me at Matt Goldberg thanks for listening everyone we'll be back with you next week